Welcome to Blind Squirrel Macro, the pod. Squirrel here on the morning of Tuesday the 7th of November, which is Melbourne Cup Day, the only day of the year that a 10-year-old can go to the bookies down under. Firm favourite today is um, Vorban from County Carlo in Ireland, but the gold bugs among my listeners must be piling a lot of late money into the hotly tipped local horse, its name, Gold Trip. Anyway, this is our usual companion to the weekly newsletter, which you can find for free at blindsquirrelmacro.com. The letter contains graphics, charts, and a multitude of links that I may refer to in this pod. It also contains our portfolio update and a review of our Acorn trade ideas. This will be changing from next week when the Acorn and portfolio material will only be available to paid subscribers. The main letter and the podcast will continue to be free. I've still not yet mastered, again, audio editing software, and so record this in a single take, so please forgive any mumbles or stumbles. And as ever, a quick message from legal. Everything in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only is and is categorically not investment advice. Before making any investment decisions, don't talk to a rodent, talk to a financial advisor. Anyway, this week's note was titled, Did the Grim Reaper Miss His Bus? Now, the too long didn't read on that is that I think he did, but I think he's coming back later. Risk assets just had one of their strongest weeks of the year. So much for that Halloween macro hell week that we were worried about last week. The extremes in bearish sentiment and positioning seen in the days running up into last week acted as the tinder for a seasonal Santa rally that the bulls have been praying for. And... Mrs. Yellen Bill and Bond financing provided the provided the spark. For now, it looks, at least to me, like the combination of one, no surprises from Wednesday's FOMC meeting, two, a market-friendly refinancing plan from the Treasury, and three, the soft payrolls number that we saw on Friday, have started the firing pistol for a classic year-end rally. It looks like we're back into that topsy-turvy world where bad news for the economy somehow means good news for stocks and risk assets. I really hope not because I, I do find those types of markets quite trying. Anyway, some of my older listeners may remember Dr. Doolittle's Push Me Pull You, that fictitious animal that was a descendant of Abyssinian gazelles, Asiatic chamois and the last of the unicorns. Well, the Janet Yellen and Jerome Powell double act is reminding the squirrel very much of that fictional twin-headed creature, which, as its name suggests, tended to pull in opposite directions. It may sound completely insane, but attempts by the Fed to tighten financial conditions are only being directly undermined by the Treasury's refusal to test appetite for longer-dated government paper. They're now funding the deficit and refilling their TGA, or their checking account, um, via the issuance of short-dated paper. Now, some have pointed out that is something that you more often see in markets where there are hispanohablantes or portugues falando down in the south. Possibly, possibly fair. Let's see. I'm not quite yet ready to call the US an emerging market. Anyway, some of the more alarming stock moves from last week came from the cohort of YOLO winners from the dark days of COVID gambling. DoorDash up 28%, Coinbase up 18%, Kathy Wood's ARK ETF up 17%, even Scamath's quote-unquote next Berkshire Hathaway, um, SoFi, eked out a 3% gain on the week. Now, the irony of this happening on the, in the same week as the conviction of Sam Bankman-Fried and the inevitable 
bankruptcy of WeWork is not lost on the squirrel. If this momentum continues much longer, short sellers are fast going to become as much of an endangered species as the two-headed push-me-pull-you. However, I suspect that this situation is self-resolving. The Fed has now clearly linked future interest rate decisions to broader financial conditions. After this week, those conditions appear to be loosening very fast indeed. I also suspect that we now, might now be witnessing the last hurrah in some of the names that, are, that represent the worst excesses of post-GFC equity markets. It is possibly too early to step in front of the momentum freight train right now, but we could be setting up for some superb entry levels for fresh short positions in what I call Ponzi tech as we enter the new year. Now, it turns out that we were prudent to wait and see um, as, as regards last week before starting our new bet against big private equity. Again, we could end up with very superior entry levels on that Blackstone trade. But in preparing that theme, my focus was on primarily on classic private equity, private credit and private real estate. But with the massive squeeze last week in the unicorn stable so loved by Kathy Wood and the Reddit crowd, I thought it might interest, be interesting to have a little deeper dig into venture capital. Now, let me place my cards on the table first. I am firmly in the camp that finds the economic and now geopolitical hot takes emanating from the all-in-pod crew in Silicon Valley to be utterly nauseating. And please don't get me started on the disingenuous claptrap contained within Mark Andreessen's latest techno-optimist manifesto. These are the libertarian clans that believe in asking for forgiveness rather than for permission. Now, call me old-fashioned, but in a world of artificial intelligence, as opposed to unregulated taxis like Ubers or unregulated holiday accommodation like Airbnb, I could not agree less. And spare me the victim nar narrative from these guys. Yes, I'm afraid they're all men that clearly struggled in the playground. Now, I've written about the general state of health in the Palo Alto Unicorn Stable before. Um, this, this week's fraud conviction of Sam Brankman-Free provided a timely reminder of the quality of some of the standards of capital stewardship within Silicon Valley. Some of the responses to Alfred Lin, the lead Sequoia partner on the FTX investments, not my fault message on social media, are absolute hall of famers. Former colleague of mine, Marcus Bueno, however, made the point that allocators really need to ponder on. He tweeted, this is what I have no respect for other people's money looks like. Uh, I thought that was a pretty good quote. Anyway, let me pull um, from, a from a Sequoia puff piece that has unsurprisingly disappeared from the in inter internet. There used to be a section on Sequoia's website that described the origin story for their investment in FTX. Um, it's a gem. I'm going to read it out and apologies in advance for, the, for, for a couple of F-bombs that are contained therein. Anyway, that's when SBF told Sequoia about their so-called super app. I want FTX to be a place where you can do anything you want with your next dollar. You can buy Bitcoin. You can send money in whatever currency to any friend anywhere in the world. You can buy a banana. You can do anything you want with your money from inside FTX. Suddenly, the chat window on Sequoia's side of the Zoom lights up with partners freaking out. I love this founder, typed one partner. I'm a 10 out of 10, pinged the other. Yes, explained the third. What Sequoia was reacting to was the scale of SBF's vision. 
It wasn't a story about how we might use fintech in the future or crypto or a new kind of bank. It was a vision about the future of money itself with a total addressable market of every person on the entire planet. I sit 10 feet from him and I walked over thinking, oh shit, that was really good, remembers Aurora. And it turns out that the fucker was playing League of Legends throughout the entire meeting. Oh. Listen, help a poor rodent out here. But just this due, due diligence feels very different from the kind that I experienced as a young corporate financier back in the 1990s. There doesn't sound like a lot of tire kicking going on there to me. Anyway, elsewhere from the Silicon Valley unicorn stable, there has been no shortage of disappointment. Venture capital-backed IPOs are down by over 50% since, since early 2022. Completely abysmal. Many of these so-called growth stocks seem to be barely able to grow their top lines. As a former ECM banker, I've applied a bit of lipstick to plenty of pigs in my past, but in these cases, expectation and reality are nowhere near being in the same zip code. How real was the growth that was predicted of them at or ahead of their IPOs? It's crashing now, and that, that's before a recession has started. Yet apparently, we're all supposed to believe that even though the better unicorns that got public are down 50% from their highs, the ones that are still stuck in the unicorn stable are being marked down no worse than the ones that are public. I'm not remotely surprised that these horned creatures are still stuck in the stable, and I'm guessing that they won't be worth what the VCs think they're worth when and if they eventually come out. The problem with the ones that got out are not restricted to their um, with the ones that got out are not restricted to their dire lack of follow through on growth. In fact, they've all gone a bit quiet on that front. Yes, indeed, the new mantra in the tech community is that old that old fashioned concept of cost cutting and margin expansion. They even got a new catchphrase for it. They always do. Apparently, it's called "lighter is faster." Now that's catchy. Your squirrel is not remotely convinced. For many of these companies, no amount of paperclip parsimony is going to enable them to become profitable on a sustainable basis. Absent the blitzscaling sales and marketing spend, strong top-line growth is almost complete and utter fantasy. Seemingly the only line on their cash flow statements with a hint of sustainable growth is the one titled stock-based compensation. As ever, the veteran short seller Jim Chanos provides the line. Commenting last week on Fintech Affirms, that's AFRM's numbers last week, he wrote, Keep in mind that at today's prices, a billion dollars in stock-based compensation would equate to 20% annual dilution if direct issued directly in shares. This is greater than the long-term expected growth in GMV. This is not a business, but an executive enrichment scheme. Anyway, let's tie it all together. Once the sugar rush triggered by the recent easing of interest rates wears off, I think we're going to be entering a target-rich environment for Ponzi Tech short-selling opportunities. We just need to make sure that we don't get run over trying to fight the trend too early. Anyway, that's it for the pod this week. In the written report, we also have, for the last time, um, for free subscribers that is, a full Acorn review covering energy, offshore, agricultural commodities, private equity, Process, which is the Tencent holding company, the Aussie dollar, we've got a, a big RBA meeting today, DoorDash, Coinbase, Occidental, and Uranium, as well as our usual portfolio update. Thanks very much for listening. Please find out more about me at blindschoolmacro.com. You can also follow me 
on Twitter at Squirrel Macro. See you next week. Squirrel out. <laughs>